Welcome to Paincast. Is there a pill for that? This is a podcast for people who suffer with chronic pain. Each week, we discuss a number of pain topics and teach people how to get rid of their pain without the use of medication, surgery, or shots. Now, here's your host, Jeff Batchy and Dr. Reed from Reed Physical Therapy in Fort Worth, Texas. So welcome to the PainCast. Um, this is Jeff and Dr. Reed here with Reed Physical Therapy. Uh, today we're going to talk a little bit about what this podcast is about. Um, we're, we're dealing with uh, patients who have chronic pain, so we want to um, help people, uh, help give them solutions so they can get out of their chronic pain. We're also going to be uh, valuable to clinicians and other therapists because we're going to offer some some insight to some of the research that's out there. And really, I think this is valuable because it uh, teaches the clinician how to talk to the patient about their pain, and you can get much better compliance and empower your patient to know what, what's going on in their body and how to take care of it. Yeah, Nate, I, I really agree with that statement. Um, I've noticed in my own experience that how I say things or how I present things to the patients verbally really does affect uh, maybe how they recognize their own symptoms. So I think there's a lot to that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, I've had so many patients come in and they, they come talk to me and tell me that, you know, you're the first one to actually sit down in an actual evaluation and tell me what's going on and, and what factors are causing it. Um, if you're not educating your patient, they're going back to that same lifestyle. And so it's, it's, a di- it's a difficult cycle because what happens is if they go back to that old lifestyle, go back to what they were doing, they're going to look at you on the back end and say, well, physical therapy didn't help. I felt better when I was done, but it didn't really help. So next time a back, their back pain comes about, you really give the whole field kind of a negative vibe in that person's brain because they may just decide to, to, to go a different route, maybe surgery, meds, or something much more invasive that won't get them where they want to get. Yeah, and, I, and it's not necessarily that other clinicians aren't doing it. It might just be how they're setting up the conversation or you know, we have the, the benefit of being a one-on-one clinic, and so we're able to really dive into deeper dialogue. But um, it's probably not so much that other clinicians aren't describing that. It's probably just maybe how they're saying it. So we want to be, we be uh, beneficial and a, a resource for maybe how to present certain topics or certain, certain ways to, to frame the discussion with your patients as well. And also some of the uh, research behind, um, you know, how the body truly heals itself and um, some of the stuff uh, we know as therapists because we learned it in school but uh, a lot of it uh, I learned much later after I got out of school uh, some of the facts and some of the uh, realities from from really diving into the research we find that the body is pretty powerful and can actually heal itself uh, without the use of meds surgery or shots and that's really our goal is that we don't get um, get people down those those particular um, avenues so we were going to talk a little bit today about um, kind of what the flow of, of the, the medical community is. I mean, whenever a patient will see someone for pain, they actually end up first seeing their primary care physician. Uh, maybe they get referred uh, for an MRI or an X-ray. And depending on what the MRI or X-ray says, then they may get uh, referred to an orthopedic surgeon uh, for a series of shots. And then possibly if those don't work, um, then they they lead them to down to surgery sometimes very invasive surgeries like like spinal fusion or sometimes laser less than invasive but still uh, 
uh, still surgery. And so the reality is only 10% of uh, patients actually get a referral to somebody who does conservative care, in particular uh, physical therapy. And they've had that researched where only 10% actually get the conservative care uh, that they need for that particular um, back pain or neck pain, for instance. Yeah, and I think I think the other problem is that things turn chronic so quickly. Or I like I actually like the term persistent pain. It's I don't like the term chronic pain. It's um, but anyways, that's it. We'll talk about that later on. Um, I, I think the problem is the waiting game in between the, the typical medical flow or the medical cycle system. Um, ha- you get injured and then you, you have to wait to go into your primary care and all the while you're taking medications because you know, you're in pain and, and you're, let's say you sprained your ankle and your ankle is swollen. You know, you have to get that, you're doing what you can to, to decrease inflammation and you're in pain. So you're trying to take care of that. And then once you see your primary care, then you they refer you to maybe an ortho or something, and then you again have to wait, and again you have, now they're prescribing some heavier medicine. So there's a lot of time in between that you really could be beneficial, and, and like you were saying, Nate, you know, only 10% of, of the population gets referred to physical therapy or some form of conservative care, and, you know, we, a lot of times we can, we see a lot of benefit with whenever we can step in and, and help those patients out and maybe they do need surgery and uh, we're able to help them strengthen them before the surgery or that way their outcomes are better and so I think yeah just a big part of it the, the persistent pain cycle starts from the typical medical system where you have to wait so yeah I, yeah that's a big that's a really good point Jeff I actually it was funny you, you brought that up I was reading something last night that the average time period to get into your primary physician was 24 to 27 days uh, in the United States. And that that could change uh, based on where you're located. Now, that's just getting to your primary. Now he wants to do an an MRI or an X-ray, and everybody who's ever had one of those knows those go a few weeks out. Uh, And then on top of that, then if you need to go to a specialist, typically um, you're going to probably wait another you know, month or so there. So the research shows that by the time that all that whole period has gone by, you've you you've already had some physiological things happening to your body. Um, most of the clinical prediction rules show much better and higher outcomes if you can get someone in within the 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 first fifteen days. Um, and anyone who's uh, for clinicians, you've learned a lot of clinical prediction rules that, uh, you know, if you can get them in the first 30 days or 15 days, depending on what injury or what clinical prediction rule you're reading, you're going to have a much higher chance of having a successful therapy session. Now in Texas, we're, our, our limitation is we're one of, we're still one of the few uh, states. I think we're the one of, I believe, don't quote me on it, but one of the last three states that still truly require you to have a, a referral for a physician. Uh, all the other states have a much more broader outlook on what we call direct access. And direct access is basically you can go to your physical therapist without having to have uh, a physician um, to sign off on that. Every other state's doing it with safe outcomes, um, and they're doing really well with it. Um, a lot of the uh, the AMA or the American Medical Association uh, is fighting uh, the physical therapy uh uh, association because there really is you, you there is a loss of money there for for the primary uh, 
care physicians. And I honestly, to me, I think uh, we're looking for a way to lower our health costs in a, in a time where health costs just keep going up and politically just puts us more and more in debt. But that's for a whole nother topic. Um, yeah, definitely. I think uh, some of the things that goes on in your body when you don't get some some rehab or therapy right away, um, your body can already start the swelling process. Um, things starting to, you can get adaptive shortening, contractures, you lose coordination, you lose muscle mass very quickly. Um, and so, uh, it could be, it could be, uh, a longer stay for you for either therapy or even could lead to something, uh, more serious. So, so Nate, let's, let's, uh, dive into the, the topic here. What is pain? Pain is, uh, is, it really is, uh, is a hard thing to categorize sometimes. It, it really is what is pain to the person. You know, everybody's uh, got different sources of pain. So when you go and see a, a clinician, they'll tell you, you know, is it aching? Is it sharp? Is it throbbing? And those those categories give us a, a, an idea of where the source is coming from. Um, but honestly, it's different for each person. And also our neurological systems are different. And so it what may be painful to me may not be painful to you. Um, and that happens a lot with uh, chronic use of medication. You can create more receptor sites as the more uh, time goes by when you have pain. So you can have a nerve that's much more sensitive than mine. Um, and you, what you may think is mild soreness from like a simple workout uh, to you could be severe aching pain. Yeah, so it's it's interesting that the research now supports that Pain is more of an output, not necessarily an input, and it's more of a, it's produced by the brain as a perception of a given stimulus, and uh, so we have different senses in the body. We can, we can tell pressure, we can tell if things are sharp, we can tell if things are hot or cold, and so we're able to sense those things, um, but sometimes it shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't set off an alarm in the brain. But like you said, we, we develop these kind of hypersensitivities to, to certain stimulus and um, that can sometimes cause us to feel pain when maybe, maybe it wouldn't to someone else. And so um, I think understanding that it, it's really a perception of the stimulus and it's, it's not so much that that's the input, it's more of a, a perception. So um, trying to, I guess, try to help decrease the um, the alarm center, the, the setting off the alarm within the brain and, and trying to feel how the body moves and how it should be and trying to retrain the brain to, to get back to how it is supposed to move. Yeah, and that's a very good point because you can change the brain's perception of pain. Um, uh, you can have neural adaptation, which means that your body actually can change, change its chemistry, change its... Uh, its nerve network uh, by having positive stimulus. Um, so if if you're in pain, uh, you can train the body to know it's what should be pain free, and then with enough stimulus of like a pain free range of motion per se, um, the body will actually uh, reorganize itself actually in the brain itself, um, and can change how how that person uh, deals with pain. Now the other thing with um, pain the body once it's in pain changes a lot of other aspects it changes how we move 
Um, so everybody's done that. I mean, if you've, if you've had pain, lower back pain or a ridiculous, you know, go pain that goes down the leg, you're going to, you're going to hobble into a room and, um, you never walked like that before, but now you do. And then you can even form those habits. The body is so good at adapting that you could, after, let's say pain's completely gone, still have some of those movement patterns. Um, we have, I've, I mean, I th- any therapist or clinician has, has seen that where they've had a patient, uh, maybe they had a total knee surgery, everything's good, good range of motion, good strength, everything's going well, but they still walk like they've been uh, limping uh, from the surgery. It's because the, bo- the body has changed its muscle memory and has changed its, uh, its neural network to accommodate that. So you can do the same thing with positive uh, movement and coordination to help decrease the body's response to pain. Yeah, yeah, and I see that all the time as well. Um, <clears throat> so typically, you know, let's follow that that same uh, streamline of thought there. If I if I were to sprain my ankle, um, you know, acute pain. Obviously, that's going to be painful um, because there has been something something traumatic uh, to the tissue immediately, and um, you know that that would last you know anywhere from a few days to a few months. But uh, where we where we run into chronic or persistent pain is whenever that that pain is greater than a few months, and um, the research shows that twenty percent twenty percent or more people have chronic or persistent pain. Yeah, that's uh, there's a lot of uh, chronic pain out there. Um, you know, they can get stuck in a particular cycle. We won't we won't go heavy into it, but you can get stuck in an inflammatory um, uh, cycle, and the idea is that. You have swelling. The swelling causes pain. Then whenever you have that pain, it changes the way you move, the way you walk, uh, maybe causes misalignments in the joint. And then basically now you have another misalignment that's causing more swelling, causing you to push up against another structure or another nerve. And, and it just is this pain cycle. So it's basically your pain caused you to do something different. And then whatever, whatever you're doing differently then started to cause more pain or make that pain persistent. So many people feel like I've had, you know, I have so many patients that come in and say, I've had pain for 20 years. I'm broken. It's not going to work out for me. Um, and the reality is they haven't done anything for it and they've just mentally decided that it's I've given up and and I'm going to I'm going to stick with this pain because I'm maybe I had a fall when I was young. And the reality is they they may have complete uh, healing from that injury, but it's it's the extra um, uh, stuff that comes from that injury that they never took care of. And I think people are getting more care now from their 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 doctors. People are more aware. I mean, we have we work with a. Um, an, uh, an older population. We work with all ages, but we do see a lot of 45 to 75. And I hear stories all the time that the medical um, the medical community was different. People just kind of avoided going to doctors sometimes or sucked it up. You know, it was more of a maybe a social um, thing, a stigma to, um, you know, yeah, you got that broken leg. Well, just walk it off. It'll eventually heal itself. But then... Um, but then what happens is they get caught in one of those pain cycles, and then it causes other structures and other things uh, to start to to creep up on them. So the the pain that they originally had isn't the real issue; it's the it's the new stuff that they never did take care of. So I think that's you hit a good point. I think that's a perfect segue into uh, maybe our listeners are, are asking the question: Well, why do I have pain? And um, I think that's good to 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 mention the healing cycle. 
typically the healing cycle for a tissue, um, obviously it, it ranges whether you're talking ligamentous to, to bone or, or uh, skin, but um, typically that's about three to six months and the, the, the mechanical system is healed. Um, but yeah, like you said, we can get stuck in these, in these cycles of the healing process and never fully enter the maturation cycle and, and um, start to see that tissue rebuilding. Instead, we have, like you said, prolonged swelling and, and it causes, it causes, you know, a change in the chemical makeup within the cells. And so it, it, the body's not able to, to work as it should, or it, it creates more, more hypersensitivity within those cells and within those tissues. And so anytime it moves, we may feel pain or like you said, we develop a different way of moving. So, um, it, it just creates that, that cycle that we gotta, we gotta watch out for. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a, it's a really good point. You know, just our body, uh, changes and, and, uh, as we've, as we develop new habits. Um, but the reality is people don't understand that, you know, whenever you've, uh, most things have actually healed in three to six months. And there's some research that say, um, upwards of 85 to 95% of things heal within nine months for sure. Um, herniated discs. Oh, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we see somebody with an MRI that, uh, that actually has a herniated disc on there. If I had one myself, um, just a quick story. I was, um, basically deciding to trying to pull a, a tire out of the trunk of a car that I had. Uh, I had a Camaro at the time and, and the trunk is very small tires, really large. I bent completely over, pulled on it, tried to pull it out, didn't come out. I pulled as hard as I could a couple times. And then I really, I would say I gave it 200% and pulled uh, backwards. And that's the wrong position. I, you should never pull from a bent position. And I was a therapist at the time. I was just, you know, being a knucklehead and, and thinking I'd really need to get this out. Shame, shame. And, yeah. Caused, caused a disc herniation, pain going down my leg. And it was 10 out of 10 pain. Um, and that can really lead you. So luckily, I've, I, you know, I said, you know, I was a therapist when it happened. But then the positive part was I knew exactly what to do to take care of it. A uh, couple months, uh, I was back to doing exactly my normal routine. Um, and then uh, uh, no pain down the leg, doing really good. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm glad I knew exactly what to do. So it was actually a good, good period to, to have that happen if I'm going to do the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah, and that's that's another thing we can definitely talk about, especially maybe in another episode as we get going along, but um, discs and herniations. And um, yeah, I think that's a good point that you bring up, the fact that after only a couple months, short amount of time, you were able to get back to everything you were able to do again. Because a lot of people, you know, this kind of goes back to that medical cycle and, and with what we're told as patients, um, by the by, the medical professionals sometimes can can be deliberating just by what they say. If they say, "Oh, you have a herniation," well, that means I'm doomed. No, it doesn't. Uh, the body the body is resilient and it, it does a good job of healing itself. And so, be, finding out, go see your physical therapist. Find out how to move and how to work through some of those um, some of those problems conservatively, and. Um, get you back and moving moving well yeah i mean the the physical therapist now the the 
the reason why we all the states have gone to direct access is the education has changed. You have to have a doctor of physical therapy to do physical therapy, so we're specialized at a hands-on exam. Now, an MRI is always a is never um, is never should be never your source of making decisions about your body because uh, without a hands-on exam, you can't actually test all of the different structures around there. Um, and about one to five percent of people end up do needing surgery and that's that's okay those individuals will you know if they need it that's that's the avenue that uh, the therapist can help them uh, determine because they they can do hands-on exam and then also um, the MRI can be part of the examination and and looking at it but MRI by itself can be very misleading Uh, one you don't see all the structures that are in there and two you have about a 33 to up to 45 percent um false positive rate on MRIs. Um, so you may even have an MRI and it's not actually um, showing you the correct thing that you need. I mean, I think of a million of my patients have, um, that's an exaggeration, but you know, many of my patients have told me, you know, I had a surgery and the doctor went in there and he said, oh, it was, it was worse than I thought it was, or even, oh, it was better than I thought it was. I actually had a patient um, come into me and say, um, you know, I asked about the uh, the the total knee surgery that they were going to have, and and um, and I thought they already had it. And they said, "Well, I didn't have the surgery." He went in there, opened me up, and then closed everything back up, and that was it. He found that there was nothing wrong with my joints, and this was a this was a MRI that showed uh, uh, big issues in in this patient's knees, and and it looked as if that person would need the total knee surgery. So we have to be very careful to not just use one source of information to make heavy decisions. And so I think uh, the attitude, uh, uh, going in back into the attitude stuff, I think is very important as well. Um, the mo- If you are positive about your outcomes, um, you're going to have a much better healing process. Yeah, that's a good point. And We'll have all of that information, all that the research articles on MRIs and herniation, herniated discs and all that for the clinicians to, to find from our webpage. And it's, um, it, it's good to have as it relates to, to the attitude for, for the patients as they go through the healing process. And one of the ways that, um, that I see or I hear all the time is that, you know, whenever you have the, the mindset of, oh, I just can't do anything because it's painful to do anything, then then a lot of times people just sit around or lay down or just stay on the couch and then they're not able to do anything and especially do anything without pain. And so um, I, I, I highly recommend trying to break that habit of, of that downward spiral of if I don't move, then, or if I do move, then it hurts. And so I don't move. And if you don't move, then you can't move. And so, um, you know, instead, f- try focusing on what you are able to do and get out and do everything that you can. And there may be a little bit of pain associated with it, but your focus is now on being able to do something. And so if you just keep that as a, as a mindset, um, then it kind of breaks that downward spiral, like I was saying. Yeah, I totally agree. If, if you decide you won't be able to do a certain activity, you're only going to make uh, your your injury worse by now for sure losing more muscle mass 
and causing more issues to the tissues involved. Now, one of the uh, some of the more interesting researches for attitude. Now, we're not just saying this because you know everybody uh, loves to say you know have a positive attitude, but there's real research from it. There was one in particular that um, they looked at cardiovascular patients and found that the number one factor on if they were going to recover from that that heart attack, um, the number one factor was that they had a positive attitude. Uh, it didn't matter the doctor, didn't matter the, the type of surgery they had, it didn't matter um, how intense the surgery was, but what, what did matter is actually positive attitude. And they, the, the researchers came up with a, a number of reasons why, and they make a lot of sense. One, um, it, just like Jeff was kind of alluding to, that if you believe that you're doomed, then you're not going to be compliant with maybe your your rehab or you're not going to move as much and then cause things to get worse. Um, and then there's also a physiological response. When you are when you feel doomed, depressed, and um, have issues with your circumstances, your body releases uh, a number of stress hormones that can actually uh, and uh, decrease your um, uh, your ability to heal. So your rehab time goes up, um, and that's just cardiovascular. And there's a number of um, articles just specifically talking about physical therapy that that kind of alludes to that same idea that um, attitude is huge. And they actually have spent money uh, doing uh, uh, lots of research on individuals who. Uh, have those issues, and they call it a psychosocial um, uh, issue as far as uh, the psychosocial aspect of rehab. It's just as important as the actual rehab. So, and that we'll we'll definitely get into that as we um, uh, get a little more um, deeper into the psychosocial stuff on another episode. But I feel like that's a really good stopping point um, for what we're doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, we thank you guys for, for tuning in with us, and make sure to tune in next week. Uh, we'll continue our discussion on pain, and um, be sure to, to subscribe to our podcast and like us on Facebook. Um, on Facebook, we update um, regularly with different, different um, exercise or manual therapy techniques, and um, you can check out our webpage again for those resources, those um, research articles and everything that we've got. Yeah, lots of good information. Definitely check out the website as well. Lots of videos, lots of informative things. We'll have these podcasts up on there. So I think it'll be a good resource for patients and for clinicians as we're going forward. So I think that was a great first episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on PainCast. Is there a bill for that? Join us next week as we continue our discussion about pain. You can visit readpt.com for more information and like us on Facebook to access videos, techniques, and updates at facebook.com slash readpt.